Father, we thank you that you love us, that you know us. You've chose us from the beginning, from the foundations of the world. You've drawn us to yourself through the Lord Jesus Christ, who finished everything we needed to stand in your presence for all of eternity. That's an amazing thought, Lord. And Father, with all that, you gave us your word. Inspired, inerrant, infallible word of God. We can reject man's earthly wisdom and turn to it. It has what we need for life and godliness. And so, Lord, we today want to be thankful, brothers and sisters, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we have the word of God given to us in, in total. All that we need, we need nothing else. It is sufficient for our life, for our salvation, and even for our eternity. So, Lord, we pray that you would strengthen our resolve to trust the word of God, be men and women, boys and girls who read the Bible and believe it, especially in these perilous times, Lord. Father, may we stand firm on your truth. Lord, thank you for all those that are here today. Brave the rain came out. We pray for those who could not come for illnesses or whatever the reason, some traveling. Lord, please be with our church family. Cause them to know that we love them, but more importantly, that you love them. We pray for those who can't come anymore, Lord, who are permanently at home or in homes, Lord, we love them, we miss them, but we do remember them, Lord. We want them to finish their life well, Lord, and we pray that you would wrap your loving arms around them, Lord. Father, thank you for our missionaries scattered around the world, Lord, both here and abroad. We're so grateful to partner with them. It's a wonderful thing to link arms with people that you've called to proclaim the gospel to all the tribes and tongues and nations of the world. We know so many of them have gone through even more difficult times than we in America, Lord. So give them favor, Lord. Give them new inroads into people's lives even through these difficult times. And may your word not return void, Lord. Each and every time it's spoken, both here and abroad. Lord, thank you for this time together. Bless it now. Cause us to be good hearers and then good doers of the word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Costi Hinn, who is the nephew of Benny Hinn, who has come to faith, Costi came to faith quite some years ago and has been trained and now pastors in a church in California. He said this this week. He said, you can end wars, you can end racism, you can end hunger, you can end poverty, you can end abortion, you can end sickness, you can end inequality, and if people still don't believe the gospel, they still go to hell. <laughs> quite a statement. There is no other way to eternity, the other way, any other way to the Father except through Jesus Christ alone, and that is the message. Romans 3 reminds us that man tries to bring their good works to God constantly. He tells us they are nothing but filthy wags. In fact, he says there's none good, there's no not, there's no one. He reminds us, because there's always that person who thinks, oh, well, I'm different. I don't do this and that and so Paul reminds us that there are none who follow after God on their own. As we look at our nation, it's not hard to trace what's happened. In the 1960s, the radical left knew that they couldn't win just by protesting in the streets. Instead, they turned to higher education, that strong influence of media, worldly entertainment system, in order to win over everyone from political leaders to prominent religious and cultural leaders and those that find their identity and what people think, this is who they went after. But the church must never let worldly-minded people have authority over it. We can't let that happen. We must submit ourselves to God's word. That is our authority. That is our only authority. And we fall underneath that. The great Puritan Thomas Watson once said this, When the word is preached, the great God is giving us his charge. Do we listen to it as a matter of life and death? This is a good sign that we love the word. Do you listen to it as a matter of life and death? You may not have thought about that when you entered the doors of Riverbend Church this morning. 
I'm going to hear words that I need for life and death. But that's actually what takes place. We hear the words of life, don't we? Peter told Jesus when Jesus asked him if he too was going to leave in John 6 as the masses were departing from him. And he said, Lord, where will we go? You have the words of life. He also has the words of death. The wages of sin is death. And if you reject me, death follows. And so, brothers and sisters, we hold in our hands, sitting on many of your laps, is the word of God, the precious, inerrant, all-sufficient word of God that gives life, but also shows the way to death. Ephesians chapter 6, that great passage of how to dress ourselves in the armor of God, reminds us that we are to always continually be taking up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Where's your sword been all week? Has it been sheathed? Somewhere like, man, I've got to find my Bible, I've got to go to church. Where has that sword been? Have you had it out and are you wielding it in your life? Well, look, we, when we are grateful, I mean truly thankful for something, we show it in our lives, don't we? I don't know if anybody's ever blessed you with something that really surprised you. How did you respond to that person? I trust, like me, you would say, man, thank you. That was extremely kind. You didn't have to do that. Well, this morning I want to stimulate you on the gift of thanksgiving, particularly around God's word in your life and mine. We started a series just after I finished the book of Mark and before I jump into another book after the first of the year, and, and we titled it The Gospel Gratitude, Inheritance of Thanksgiving, and this is part two of it. Of it. Here, we want to talk about this morning truth that creates thanksgiving. And I hope to stimulate in your hearts and minds through the word of God a deeper, deeper love and commitment to the word of God. A lot of people start reading the Bible at the first of the year. And then in February, they start reading something else. <laughs> I want to help you read your Bible. I want you to hold in your hands today and say, God, thank you for your word. I am eternally grateful that you have spoken to us through it. I don't have to try to listen to my gut. <laughs> I can hear your word as it's laid out before me. Well, our text is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, basically verse 13, and I will work around that whole text and, and uh, bring some truth out of it. And if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there with me. There's four thoughts I want to give you this morning. First, thanksgiving for the all-sufficient, inerrant, infallible Word of God. Thanksgiving, true thanksgiving for the all-sufficient, inerrant, infallible Word of God. Look with me at this great text, but let's start in the first part of 1 Thessalonians. This is a letter that Paul had written. He had already visited the church and now he is uh, writing a letter back to them and his heart is full of gratitude to this church. Verse 2, he says, we give thanks to God always for you. <laughs> Making mention of you in my prayers, he is genuinely thankful for this church. Isn't that sweet? I told you a few weeks ago when Gene and I returned from the West Coast, I came back and I stood in front of you, and I don't know if you picked it up, first service people pick up things a little more in the second service because I've got to repeat everything that I just did. Um, but sometimes my heart is really moved when I stand in this pulpit and just stand in front of you after that uh, little bit of a difficult trip we made. Um, I was so glad to be here. I was so thankful to look at your faces and say, this is my church. This is my family. This is where I live and die, right here with these people. And I get that when Paul says that, but notice verse 3, he says, constantly bearing in mind, he just isn't thankful for him, he sees things about him, your work of faith, right? He's, he's James, right? Show me faith and I'll show you deeds, and show you deeds and say faith. You, you can't say God doesn't do this miraculous work in our life and there's no change. So he says it's evident, right? You have works of faith that are going on here. You have a labor of love, strong word there. Labor is even a stronger word than work. It's getting in and really laboring over something, right? It's used for childbirth and so forth. You labor in love. You think about it. You contemplate it. You make effort towards it. And then you have this steadfast hope about you. Ever been around somebody who just is very hopeful? Some of us are negative, aren't we? <laughs> well, uh, half cup empty, 
Isn't that a blue sky? Well, it looks kind of gray to me. Then there's the other people. They're just like, man, isn't it a phenomenal day? You know, like, oh, what's so phenomenal about it? You know, they're just full of that. See, there's a steadfast hope here, Paul says, in the church. Are you that way? Do you love Christ? Is the word of God everything to you? Do you find great hope here? He says, look, knowing, verse 4, beloved by God, his choice of you. See, Paul's not ignorant of the doctrine of salvation. (laughs) He knows that God saves, not man. God does not... Uh, is not one who was held captive by the free will of man. He knows who is his, right? He chooses man. And, and look, he says, this is such a phenomenal thing. This is driving your work of faith. This is driving your labor of love. This is driving your steadfast hope because I know and you know God chose you. And then verse five, for our gospel did not come to you in word only. But it did come in the word, didn't it? Can you imagine whether Paul understood or not? I think sometimes the writers may have. Um, First Peter tells us that they look back and look to see what they were writing to understand the time and the epics of Jesus Christ. But I don't think they you know, were writing and knew that this letter was going to be inspired. God inspired them. And, and so it did come in word, but it did come in word. The power of the Spirit of God always accompanies the word of God. That's why we're here when we preach God's word at the church, not Scott's. Scott's just goes, <laughs> word of God gets to our heart, doesn't it? Gets to our mind, gets to our daily life, doesn't it? And he says, you, you receive this, and so you can see this great thanksgiving that the word of God is active in these people. Verse six, you became imitators of us and the Lord. Receiving the word with much tribulation, with joy of the Holy Spirit. So they receive this word with joy. I think so many people leave churches very discouraged. Or the motivational speaker just soon wears out before you get to their car. Because that's what so many churches are today. They're motivational speakers. See, the word of God takes you into Monday school, doesn't it? It gets you through Wednesday afternoon and Thursday. Because the word of God is everlasting. And the Spirit accompanies it. Turn with me verse chapter 2, verse 13, which is our text that we'll spend most of our time jumping in and out of this as we try to understand this letter here written and this reason for thanksgiving. Look at verse 13 of chapter 2. For this reason, we also can constantly thank God that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as a, as a word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God which also performs its work in you who believe. See, the word of God is the subject there, isn't it? But the subject of the word of God is always Christ. So you never find Apostle Paul not talk about the word of God and the work of Christ together. They always hang around each other, don't they? And Christ being the central figure of the word of God and let us, let us remind ourselves that there's a lot of churches that say they're Christ-centered and don't preach the word. That's a difficult understanding. We preach the word and that makes us Christ-centered. Christ-centeredness drives us to the word of God. They go hand in hand and I see Paul doing that. And this is beautiful. When we think about the word of God and people want to hear voices and heard this and that and so forth. We hear the voice of God right here. He speaks to us. And we find great comfort. There's two passages that I just want to remind you of the all-sufficient, infallible word of God. They're two of my favorite passages when it comes to um, knowing the scriptures and believing that they're God's word. Now, I'm going to give you one from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament. This is start in Psalms 19. You've heard me teach this before, but it's worth going back and reminding ourselves of this beautiful text. Psalms 19. You know that Psalms 19 has... Uh, uh, two themes. You have general revelation, right? The heavens are telling the glory of God, right? Night after night, night after night, day after day, forth forth his speech. It's not hard to go out and look into the skies at night and say, oh, well, I don't think that just blew up and got there. Tells us there's a God, right? Gina and I were watching a painter the other night. Um, my wife is artistic. I am not. Um, But I was marveling at this particular man, and I thought, I hope he knows Christ after all these beautiful scenes of creation that he has painted. 
That he knows there's a creator Christ out there. Because, man, I hate to get to the end of your life and you created all the things God spoke into existence and you didn't know the God who spoke them into existence. But what a beautiful speech, right? There's uh, here, verse three, there's no speech, nor are there words, their voice is not heard. That reminds us that God clearly is making himself evident through general revelation all over the world. And and then we get to this special revelation in verse 7, right? General revelation doesn't save people. People don't walk out in the trees and say, oh, I need a savior. Um, that, That just says there's a God and that God uses that to drive you to understanding of your sin and a need for a savior. And then he brings along his special revelation and we pick that up in verse 7. Here King David is writing to us how he feels and how he believes and, of course, inspired by the Holy Spirit of what he thinks about the word of God. He says in verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. And I know when you hear law, you, you think maybe Ten Commandments, Exodus 20 or something like that, but it's the word Torah here. It is that didactic teaching of the Lord, that instruction that he gives us is what David is speaking about. And notice that the words that are synonymous with the word of God, law, testimony, precepts, these are all synonymous words. But notice the, the um, quality of the word of God, the characteristic of the word of God. It's perfect. It's perfect. What out there besides God's word is perfect? You say, well, my salvation, well, that comes from the word of God. It comes from the word. The word was with us, Right? Word became flesh and dwelt among us. But everything else isn't. They change laws all the time. You used to only drive 55 out here. Now you're doing 70. Some of you. I mean, think about it. There's nothing like the word of God. It's perfect. And look what it results in. I love the benefits of this. It restores the soul. Some of you are weary today. You're here. You're tired. You've had difficulties going on in your life. You're not sure how things are going to turn out. Spend time in the word. It restores your soul, brothers and sisters. I cannot tell you how heavy-hearted I've been through 30-some-odd years of ministry at times, overwhelmed by hurt and difficulties within the church, things going on, and then I just open my Bible and I begin to read, and God restores my soul, restores my faith in his truth, and you start studying again, and you get up and you work on the next message, you go make the next hospital call, you pray for the next person, because the word of God restores your soul. Does your soul need restoring, brothers and sisters? Fox News can't do that. The word of God can. Notice the next segment, the testimonies or the witness of the Lord. The word of God is his witness. They don't call God to the stand. They bring his word to the stand. Here it is. Anytime I've had to go to court, I came armed with his word. This is the witness of God. Here's why we do what we do at Riverbend. We believe in the word of God. This is his witness. This is who he is. And notice that it's sure. There's no sure things out there, aren't there? I was sitting with a dear brother this week, and we were praying and talking together, and we reminded ourselves that we had no guarantee that we were going to get out of that parking lot and get home is our trust in the Lord. See, it's sure. The word of God is sure. Making wise the simple. I love that definition. You can reverse it in the Hebrew. It can mean making the simple wise. You spend any time around uh, those who have disabilities, maybe mental disabilities. And I had the privilege of working on a ranch and doing a Bible study there for many years. That was a home to pastors and missionaries children who had Down syndrome or other uh, medical issues that they just could not take care of them any longer on the mission field or in the pastorate, and this ranch took them in. And I would go, I'd drive two and a half hours to get there, teach an hour study, and then drive two and a half hours to get back because I loved being with those Christians. Most of them could not read or never would read. But they believed the gospel. (laughs) They would tell you, I believe Jesus died because I was a sinner. Isn't that wonderful? Some of the most wisest people in the world were in that house. While the politicians and the great minds of the world are as lost as the day is long. Notice it goes on to tell us that the precepts, the principles of the Lord are right. 
opposed to wrong, right? They rejoice the heart. You need to have your heart rejoice today. Study the word of God. Next, the commandments. These are the divine decrees of the Lord. They're pure. That characteristic means they are without stain. They are the purest of all forms of words we could ever hear is the word of God. And yet we find ourselves drinking in mud at times in disbelief of God's word. And look, look what it does and lightens the eyes. You ever been so dehydrated, so tired, so worn out and thirsty and sweated so bad and finally you get a cold drink of water and just what it does to you, right? Well, that's the word of God. It enlightens your eyes, helps you see clearly. Notice the next statement, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Here, the worship of the Lord, it refers to the scriptures as worship and fear and awe of the Lord. It's clean, it's not impure, it endures forever. The word of God's not going anywhere. Not with the tumultuous times that we're in. There's all kinds of people who like to cut their Bibles out, take this part out, I don't like that part and all, all that. And they're always trying to do that. And there'll be many churches that will bow the knee to the government so they can stay open when they attack marriage and all those things that they're not going to want to hear from the Bible. But we don't believe that. We believe the written word endures forever. We hold to it. Notice the judgments. These divine verdicts of the Lord are true. They're true. <laughs> oh, there's so much false things going around, right? I can't take it anymore. I... I, I getting off of all this. I just can't take it. You don't know what, who's lying to you, who isn't. Well, it's not the word of God. The word of God is true. Put your hope in it. Notice that they're righteous altogether. They're righteous. This is the righteous standard of God, not the United States. <laughs> the righteous standard of God. Let's hold to those things. And, and then look at the great results of all this. They're more, verse 10 says, they're more desirable than gold, Yes, then much fine gold. That's great wealth, isn't it? Gold market continues to rise. There's always something telling you, invest in gold. Invest in the word of God. <laughs> it's the most valuable thing you can have. It's the treasure of word of God. Men, women died. <laughs> you just study church history of what it took to get the Bible into your language. It's an amazing study in church history. We have something of such great value. Notice it's sweeter also than the honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. This is the great pleasure of the word of God. There was nothing more sweeter in the world in David's time. They didn't have, you know, 7-Eleven and you could go buy a Abba Zabba or something like that. What'd you eat when you would eat it sweet? You ate honey. You ate it from the honeycomb, the most sweetest part of it as it dripped upon it. And, and here the Bible tells us this has great pleasure in the word of God. So many times when I read my Bible, I sit back and I can just, mm, Lord, that's so good, I need this. I am enjoying this, Lord. My soul needs this. Verse 11, it tells us that there's great protection for us here, isn't it? Moreover, by them your servant is warned. Hey, you need some warnings. We need something shot across the bow every once in a while in our life, right? Keep the marriage bed undefiled. Guard your eyes and your heart. Take captive your thoughts. The, the word of God shoots something across our bow when we read it every once in a while because we are, like we sang here, prone to wander, prone to leave the God we love. See, the word of God warns us. In keeping with it, there is great reward. The word reward is the Hebrew word for end. There's a great end to this, right? There's a great profit at the end of this, right? Follow it along. Get to final Revelation chapter 22, and the church is with the Lord Jesus Christ for all of eternity. There was a great reward. There were many crowns laid up. Paul says, there's a crown for me, but not only for me only, but all those who long for the return of Christ. And then verse 12, we see this purifying work that it does in our life. Who can discern his errors, equip me from my hidden faults? Also keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless and I shall acquit, 
be acquitted of great transgressions. Here the Bible warns us and says, look, it'll expose these errors. And I love this, the hidden faults. There's things that Scott does not understand that are sinful in his life at times. When I study the Bible, I'm re- those things re- get revealed. This is what happens often why marriages get worse, why people um, don't grow in the Lord, is because they never put themselves into the mirror of the word of God to let them be dealt with. Because your wife's been telling you this is a problem. (laughs) Ah, no, it isn't. Get in front of the word of God, you actually will see it. I'm proud, I'm arrogant, I'm not kind. I don't have joy and love and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. See, the word of God exposes that to us. The things that I don't even see, but it also, you see, it also picks out my presumptuous sins. And those are a real problem because you and I know we have sin issues, don't we? But we don't want to deal with them. The word of God helps you. It helps you see those things about you. Notice that David says, I don't want this stuff to rule over me. I don't know a true Christian who hasn't told me, I don't want my sin to take me away. Most true Christians know their sins and they don't want it to drag them somewhere where they don't want to be because that's what sin does. It just goes, hey, we're going this way, okay. Right? But you're no longer a slave to sin, Romans chapter 6, right? But the word of God teaches us that and teaches us that we don't have to do that. And David says, I don't want this to rule over me. I want to understand my blamelessness before you. I want to understand that you've acquitted my great transgressions. There's nothing more encouraging to a believer than when you come away and go, oh, God has forgiven me. You ever get plagued by past sins? Something you did in your youth or something you did last week? It's the word of God that brings you to the point that you say, Jesus, you died for that sin. You forgave me for that. I am free of that. You choose not to bring it up. This is my flesh or Satan or something that's tempting me. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving me. That's the greatest joy of a Christian. We're forgiven people. And so we can forgive others. See, this is a mark of a believer. This is what the word of God does. And then finally, just verse 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let me say it this way. Let your words be my words, God. Your thoughts be my thoughts. You want to get that? Read your Bible. Study your Bible. Be under the teaching of God's word. Look at um, 1 Peter or 2 Peter. No, what am I after? First, uh, 2 Peter chapter one, I told you it's one of my favorite verses. I can't remember where it is. First Peter, excuse me, Second Peter chapter one. Second Peter chapter one. Very similar theme by the Apostle Peter here, as we'll see in First Thessalonians. He says, Look, we don't follow cleverly devised tales that were when we made known to you the power and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're not here doing puppet shows and tricks and spiritual rabbits out of the hat that was being done back then and today. He says, but we were eyewitnesses of the majesty. Now, verse 17, he takes us back to Matthew 17, the Sermon on the Mount, not the Sermon on the Mount, the Mount of Transfiguration. And he says, for when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such utterances as this was made to him by the majesty uh, the majestic glory, this is my beloved son in whom I well please. We ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Isn't this an amazing statement? He's taking you back to the eyewitnesses of Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration when Christ was revealed. His, his full deity went on display in front of them. It had been veiled in his humanity, but there for a moment he dropped that veil and they were utterly amazed. And you think, we're right there. Well, let's build a church on top of that hill. <laughs> That's what Peter does. Notice what he does in verse 19. He says, so we have a prophetic word made more sure. Uh-oh. We don't live based on experiences. We have a better word. Isn't that amazing? We have the word of God to which you would do well to pay attention as a light shining in a dark place. Too many people come to me and say, Pastor, I've had this experience. And everything in their life is based on some kind of experience. And yet they're in my office because there's difficulties. So how's that experience doing for you? Saving your marriage? 
Well, no. See, the Word of God does what experiences can't. The Word of God is steady and rock solid. You know it's of God, right? It shines in dark places. What are dark places? Places you trip, right? You want to walk around in the dark? You're going to fall down. The word of God is a lamp unto my feet. This is David again, right? This is Psalms 119. This is Peter uh, using the Old Testament to teach the New Testament, right? Let the word of God be a light unto your path, right? This is what it happens in dark places until the dawn dies, the, the day dawns, and the morning star rises in your heart. Let the word of God lead you to truth. But know this, first of all, no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. <laughs> Peter just didn't come up with this. Yeah, that sounds good. Let's see, should I say it this way? No, the Spirit of God's bringing him along, right? He's moving them along. Verse 21, for no prophecy was ever made by the act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. And that's what we have. (laughs) Friends, do you love your Bible? Are, Are you thankful this morning that you have God's word? But it is life-changing. Look, it took, think about what happened these last six, nine months. It, it took this world's godless system to convince free people to believe that going to work, going to church, enjoying family, vacations, and just showing your face out in public is a selfish act. And the world's believed it. And yet, God's word, when we speak God's word, we are mocked. (laughs) The medical community has shown its true colors. Not all our doctors. We praise the Lord for them who have helped us through this. But they've shown their true colors. The polling data says that 55% of marriageable people, singles, do not believe the Bible when it comes to marriage. And they claim to be Christians. This is what it's saying. And so you can imagine that same percentage doesn't believe the Bible is inerrant. This is what we're dealing with. See, that's why I preach so hard over this time, trying to help us understand we have a sovereign God who's in control of all things. And yes, he gives the spirit of God, and through the word of God we have wisdom and we make wise decisions, but we trust our God. I cannot die outside of the ordained days that God has given me. I mean, we have to remember that stuff. We work so hard, and yet the Christian community has fought against the pastors of the churches. So we remind ourselves, God's in control. Be wise, be good stewards of what he's given you, but don't operate out of fear. We have a God who loves us. Look, there will be no recovery, no reformation, where there's no revival in the church to believe the word of God. And listen, unless this generation of believers right here, you and me, teach the next generation the sufficiency, the inerrancy, the infallible word of God, despite the scorning and mocking that's going to come, it seems hopeless. But God is not dead. (laughs) And, And his word is not dead either. And there's a whole lot of people in this nation, and I have hundreds, if not thousands of men I know, who are preaching this book, just like I'm doing this morning, with, with full assurance that he still does abundantly more than we ask or think. They believe that his word is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword, and it pierces even the division of the soul and the spirit of both joints and marrows and is able to judge even the thoughts and the intent of the heart. I love the word of God. I would not have a job if I didn't have the word of God. I'm not smart enough to get up here and talk for 50 minutes to you. I need the Bible. You need the Bible. And we hold to these truths. Spurgeon said this, the word of God is an anvil upon which the opinions of man are smashed. Start smashing the opinions of man with God's word. That's what we believe. Are you thankful for God's word? Handle it correctly. Number two, thanksgiving for the authoritative and public proclamation of the word of God. We should have a thanksgiving for the authoritative and public proclaimers of the word of God. I love Romans 10. It says, how will they, and then how will they hear, right? 
Um, how then will they call on him, him whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him who they have not heard? How will they not hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Right? And what teaches us is, out of this verse is God not only stirs the heart of the one who calls out for him. Because people will say, oh, Scott, what about the person who wants to come to Jesus in the deep, dark jungles? First of all, he's not innocent. Remember that. We're all sinners. But what God does is he stirs in his heart to cry out to God to send somebody. And guess what God does? God sends people. You ever talk to a missionary somewhere like you couldn't even imagine where they're going? They're like, here they're out in the jungle of Ecuador. You know, how'd you get there? You know, it's an amazing story. God just put on our heart. We, we were thinking about going here, and God just moved our hearts, and we met this person, and that led to this. And You know, somebody cried out for the Lord to know if there's a true God out there, and God sends somebody. He doesn't miss any of his elect. <laughs> He doesn't ever miss anyone. He knows all who is his. He'll not let anyone come out of his hand, right? Jesus tells us that. And so I love that. And so blessed are the feet who proclaim good news. And let's go past the pulpits and missionaries. Any one of you who share the good news with somebody, the Bible says your feet, your, what carries you along, your, your person is blessed. Because someone needs to hear it. This week we had some, a lot of baskets delivered, I think over 50 Delivered, and we heard some great reports, and then we heard some doors slammed in people's faces. Blessed are the feet who bring good news. Because we weren't just dropping off baskets, we were taking the gospel. And every time we could get a foot in the door, <laughs> our people shared the gospel. And we don't know what the Lord's going to do with all that, but we do know that he takes his word and saves people. Now look at chapter 2, back in, let me go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. I need to get back into this text. This is a fun subject just to teach on, though. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we start to understand who these proclaimers are here. We know that it's not only Paul, but Silas and Timothy are with them. Uh, Acts 17 teaches us. Look what he says. For you yourselves know, brethren, remember we're talking about thanksgiving for those proclaimers, that our coming to you was not in vain. Now, right off the bat, he says, you know, we didn't just like, well, you know, maybe we should take a run over to Thessalonica and see how they're doing over there. But if it doesn't work out, we can go somewhere else. This was strategic thinking. This was not some vain thing like, well, maybe we go there, we'll get some money, or they'll be happy with us, or maybe they'll take an offering, or whatever. We're not, this wasn't coming this way, verse 2. But after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, that's Acts chapter 16, what happened there, right? They got thrown into prison. Prison guard. Earthquake. Start of the Philippi church, right? But Acts 17, and I'm out of time. I can't go. I wanted to take you to Acts 17, but write a note there. He's talking about Acts 17, this next phrase. As you know, we had boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel amid much opposition. You have to read Acts 17 to understand where he goes. So he went from Philippi, where he got thrown in jail, beat, right? Jail even cleaned up their wounds. They got out of that. They headed to Thessalonica there. Guess who followed them? A bunch of persecutors followed them in there, stirred up the crowd, and they got beat up again. So look, they said, we believe this message. No matter how much it cost us, we believe. And what's fascinating is Paul came to Thessalonica with the goal of preaching and speaking the gospel to them. And remember, they had the great orators of the day come through, right, these Men who sought to gather large crowds and express their own views and draw attention to themselves. They were witty and quick in tongue. You know, you look, you hear, read some of the great philosophers of the day and the words that came out of their mouth and you go, eh, I'm in trouble. <laughs> Enough to myself, I can't speak that way. But these men were trained that way, but Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they had a very different goal. And this happened all across Asia Minor and in these different places where the church was being planted and grown. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 through 5. He says, When I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superior of speech and of wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God. We did not come with oratorical perfection. But this is what he did came, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. 
I was with you in weakness and in fear and in trembling. Let me stop there. It's scary to go knock on the door and hand a Thanksgiving basket with the goal of sharing the gospel to those people, isn't it? And you go, well, Scott, is it wrong for me to be afraid? No, because <laughs> it is afraid. It's scary sometimes, isn't it? But it doesn't stop you because you have an unstoppable message. So you keep going, and Paul goes on to say, I was with you in weakness and fear and trembling, but my message, my preaching, were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and power so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but rest on God. Oh, that reminds me all the time. Preach the word, Scott. Preach the word, preach the word, preach the word. Do not preach Riverbend. Do not preach Scott. Preach the word. That's what comes in wisdom and powers the word of God. But Paul and his associates, I love these three men here. They were public figures, right? They came to Thessalonica and they exercised a public proclamation of the ministry. And the result of this proclamation provided the framework for the church. This is what the church was based on. The preaching of God's word. And they continued to, pray, to proclaim. We know that Thessalonica, actually God spared them even longer than the other churches of severe persecution. In fact, that's where Demas went. Because Demas had been hanging out with Paul and Timothy and so forth and abandoned Paul. He went to Thessalonica because there was, God had seemingly cared and put his protection over this church because they loved the word of God, them and the Bereans. Now, aren't you thankful for those who proclaim the word to you one day? Who told you the word of God? I want you to think right now. Mom? Dad? Grandma? BBS worker? Sunday school teacher? Me? <laughs> Who was it? Who told you about Jesus Christ through the word of God? That's kind of fun to think about. I think about several people in my life, and I'm grateful to them. Most of them have passed on or with the Lord now, but that's what this is about. There's a gratitude for these people that come. Notice in verse 2, look at in verse 2, he says, we had boldness in God to speak to you. That's what it takes. That's what the word of God creates with you. It creates boldness. And his message had come to the believers as something that had to be declared, right? The word of God is something that is declared. It isn't like, well, you know, the word might be inspired. <laughs> Preach it with boldness. Tell people unashamed of the gospel that Jesus can forgive their sins. It's the greatest message in the world. So it's my line, you know, on the plane. Oh, so what do you do? Hmm. I have the greatest job in the world. I get to tell people how their sins are forgiven. And you have that job too. And so we teach it with boldness. And even among persecution, we know the persecutions here. We'll see that in a moment. They preach the word. And what is amazing, it is like you, the Thessalonican church, not only heard the word, but notice they believed it, the text says. Hebrews says that the word of God was preached, the good news was preached to us, but there were others that heard the good news, but they didn't have faith. And I love that statement. Because it takes this supernatural work of God to plunge faith into your heart, and you believe that, and so we leave salvation to God, right? We're, we're a church that stands on that. We believe God saves. That's his job. We carry the message. And I'm telling you, there's such freedom in that. I remember a young pastor working my mind around the doctrines of grace and the truth of salvation and realizing, God, I don't have to save these people. Because I was overwhelmed every time one would reject me. Did I say it Right? Did they make a decision eternally base their life on, on what I, how I said it? Do you want to carry that weight? I think the Bible never asks us to do that. It asks us to proclaim the truth. God does the saving. And so they believe, right? They believe because God given them faith, but you and I carry this great message. So praise God that he still raises up preachers and people who will take turkeys to somebody's house and they're unashamed of the gospel. Praise God for pastors who are ashamed of, unashamed of the full counsel of God's word. They'll preach it from Genesis to Revelation. Praise God for shepherds who are unashamed to study and apply it to their own lives first and then proclaim it to those who will hear them. But notice, this didn't come just by itself. Paul just isn't the man, right? 
I love this letter because it says in chapter 1, verse 1, that Paul, Savanus, and Timothy, these three men, the, the, the section in, in Acts 17 highlights that, uh, that Silas and Timothy were preaching the message as well. It's just another argument for the plurality of elders, plurality of leadership within the church. And I love my brothers. Many of us just prayed this morning for you and for us and for the word of God today. We prayed because we shepherd the church together. And I love that about this. Now, just, just one final thought here is, is these guys are not just men who came off the street. Look at verse 3. I just want to read down through this quickly. For our exhortation did not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit. Now, why would he say that? Because so many are. There's always those shysters and tricksters and people out there that are spinning and turning the word of God. And Paul says they peddle the word of God. He says, we didn't do it that way. But just as we're for, as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not pleasing men, but God who examines our heart. And I love that phrase, brothers and sisters. These men are called qualified shepherds of the flock. And they weren't there peddling something. They're there sharing the truth. And look, you can put full confidence that God has called you to share the gospel with somebody. And you'll put them in your life. Third thought. Thanksgiving for the, proclamation, for the proclaimed word that is received and accepted. Thanksgiving for the proclaimed word that is received and accepted. Now drop down to verse 13 with me. For this reason, we, have also, we also constantly thank God that when you receive the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it. Isn't that remarkable? <laughs> See, Paul's heart is overflowing with thanksgiving because the people willingly received the word of God. I don't know about you. I mean, everyone I witness doesn't come to Christ. In fact, the most of them don't. Most of them, you know, go, okay, well, I'll be reading this book over here. <laughs> uh, sometimes I don't get very far. But every once in a while, God shows me that he opens the heart to people who believe. And Paul says, look, we're, we're thanking God. You know, why is he doing that? Because he just came from Philippi where they beat him up because of the gospel. He just, he is reminding when they got to Thessalonica that these people followed it in him, stirred up this great riot against him. It happened in Ephesus. It happened in Thessalonica. It happened in Berea. It happened in almost every place he went. So when he found people who said, you know what, I'll get up. I'll go to the nine o'clock service. I'll be involved in BFG. I'll come out to fall fellowships. I'll serve the Lord where they need help. Pastors go, well, am I thankful for you? Because sometimes the Jeremiah ministry gets old where nobody hears and nobody believes. So this gratefulness is coming out of him. Notice this word received. I love this verb here. It's, it, ha, it's, it, it uses an idea of an objective reception to the word of God. In other words, the Thessalonians, they were not influenced by their personal feelings or opinions. They believed it to be God's word. And notice the phrase that says, the word of God which you heard from us. This is Paul, Timothy, and Silas. Notice the plural pronoun here. They had faithfully proclaimed the gospel of God, the word of God. And it came from the mouth of these sent men and the people heard the word. And this reminds us that the infinitely superior value of the word of God contrasted with a very fallible human opinion. Give them God's word. I told the story of my older brother who had turned away from the Lord and turned away from me. <laughs> And so all I could do was, and this is how long ago this was, fax him passages of scripture. He wouldn't take my phone calls. He wouldn't talk to me. He was living in sin. So back then I knew he had an office at his, at his construction business and had a fax machine sitting right in his room. And so I wrote out the scripture. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. <laughs> you know, remember that? And it'd fall on the ground and he'd walk in and there was the word of God. And he told me later, he goes, I was so mad at you every time I saw one of those. And then one day, in that same room, he fell on his face and repented. And he called me. 
and we have a great relationship ever since. See, the word of God does not return void. The Bible tells us that, right? And so these people believed it. And the Thessalonians had heard, they've heard the latest and the greatest proclaimers. They'd heard all their human wisdom and their smooth speech and their opinions from one side of the aisle to the other. But Paul is a great contrast to the man-centered proclaimers. He came and preached the word of God and they accepted it. And they believed it. Notice the 13, verse 13 says, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God. Why did he say that? Because you hear it all the time. You people who witness, you go, well, the Bible, it's, you know, it's full of all kinds of contradictions. It's just men who wrote it. Do you not hear that all the time? If you witness, you hear that all the time. They'll tell you they're not saved. But that doesn't change the way you keep coming. You just keep telling the word of God. Because God may save that person, but the next person may come along and they go, well, thank you for giving me the word of God. And that's what happened here. These men believed it. Notice that it, it caused them to change, right? Their inward heart started to change. They start to live different. They, it hit their mind. Truth hits the mind, and they evaluate truth, but the heart believes, and, and they believed into the heart. In that account in Acts chapter 17, verse 4, it says, Some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, along with a large number of God-fearing Greeks and a number of leading women. That's what happens. Yeah, there were... <laughs> The rest of that tells us that there was a bunch of people that tried to kill him, but there was still a group of people who believed. And that's what God does. And look, it's high time the church realizes that the word of men is empty and powerless. And they have little ability to keep any of their promises. They just use them for manipulation, don't they? But notice that the word of God performs its work, it says in verse 13. Meaning the word of God is effective, it's sufficient, it's divinely supernatural, and God cannot lie, so his word is trustworthy. His word always performs its purposes, and it lives out in our lives. And that's what Isaiah said, so my word will go forth um, from my mouth, it will not return empty or void without accomplishing what I desire. Isn't that cool? When you see people get saved, that you realize that God took his word, he spoke it through you, and it did not return void. We love our baptisms here, don't we? Because that's what people are telling us. They heard God's word. They understood they were sinners. They believed and repented. And they're following him. Now, just a couple of real quick thoughts. I'm going to give you some verses to pin down. Think about the word of God has done for you. First, number one, and very important, is it saved you. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, For you have been born again, not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. So first thing the word of God does is it saves people. Why do we preach anything else? Why do these guys parade around in tight jeans talking about a bunch of things that I'm not sure what they're saying and rarely use the Bible? If you want to see people get saved, preach the word of God. Second, it sanctifies you. Jesus himself, the night before his death, John 17, 17, said, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. It sets you apart. You want to be set apart for Jesus Christ? Believe the word of God. You want to just go with the flow and let the Nazis take the Jews? Let the word of God sanctify you. There's going to come a day they will not put up with what we're doing. Will you be set apart for the Lord and be ready? It sanctifies us. It grows you. First Peter chapter 2, 2. Like newborn babies, that's the example. Everybody knows newborns. We have a bunch of them here and more coming, namely my grandson. Um, long for the, just like they, long for the pure milk of the word, looks into this, so that you may grow in respect to salvation. Too many people have claimed Jesus Christ and the church did not disciple them. We disciple here, don't we? We want, we want to be in your life. We want to one-on-one. -on -one. We want to get you in DTP. We want to keep growing you. We want to keep helping you grow in respect to salvation. It frees you, right? It frees you. John 8, 31 to 32, you know this. Jesus was saying to the Jews who had believed in him, he says, if you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. 
It frees you. It uh, corrects and trains and equips you. 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17, you know this verse, right? All scripture is inspired. God breathed, the product of God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, exposes error, for correction. We all need that. For training in righteousness, how to do things God's way, right? That's righteousness. So that the man of God or the person of God may be adequately equipped for every good work. It builds you up and gives you hope. Paul, when he was with the elders at Ephesus in Acts chapter 20, verse 32, said this, And now I commend you to God and to to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I commend you to the word. I commend you to the word. Despite the claims of the men of Paul's days and even the talking heads of our day, Human wisdom continually falls short. And this is why 1 Corinthians um, 1, 18 and uh, uh, following are so powerful. He talks about the wisdom of the world is foolishness. And yet they call the gospel foolish. The wisdom of the world is foolishness. You know they're trying to create utopia on this earth, right? That's all they have. That's the environmental movement. That's... uh, you know, give everybody all the same things. They're trying to do what only God can do. In heaven, we will all stand in our righteous robes of Christ, totally equal, totally forgiven. They're trying to do what only God can do. And yet deprived, godless men who have rejected his word are trying to give the world utopia. Ain't going to work. Read the passage. 2 Timothy 3 says they're going to grow worse and worse and they will be haters of God. That's what will happen. And it just cycles back and forth. And we see that all the time. But the Brians and the Thessalonians were different. Last thought, four, thanksgiving for the proclaimed word and the effect, effects change in life. Let me just read that again. Thanksgiving for the proclaimed word that affects change in the hearer. The effects change in the hearers. Look at verse 12. This was the goal of his instruction. So that you would walk in a manner worthy of God who called you into his own kingdom and glory. That's what the word of God's for. Help you walk in a manner worthy. You don't want to stand before God in some unworthy way. You don't want, we don't want to live our lives unworthy for a God who died for us. See, it's the gospel that always helps us repent, isn't it? When you sin, hopefully this is what you do, and this is what I try to practice in my life. Oh, Lord, that sin caused the death of your son. I don't want to do that again. See, the gospel, the word of God, causes us to live that way. And we see that in Paul. These first couple chapters, he's trying to help them understand that the word of God is powerful. The spirit's behind it. Let, let it let become hearers and become imitators of it. And so that they would live for the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 14 and we'll end with this. For you, brethren, became imitators of the church of God in Christ Jesus that is in Judea. And look what happened. For you also endured the same suffering at the hands of your own countrymen even as they did from the Jews who had killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. They are not pleasing to God, but hostile to men. And he says, look, this is what happens. And I love that the Bible is real, right? If you stand up for what the Bible says, somewhere along the line, someone's going to try to kick your teeth in. It's just going to come. Could be a family member. And often that's the way it goes. But what it does is it changes you so much that you're willing to lovingly, you speak the truth in love, brothers and sisters. We're not there to bash people over the head with our signs. We speak the truth in love. But it would cost us. And Paul reminds them that the early church suffered greatly. They suffered greatly. And he says, look, I know you're believing the word of God because you're suffering like the first church in Judea. Just like them. Well, so much more to say here, isn't there? But I wanted to give you a taste this morning of thanksgiving in regards to the word of God. So maybe as you assemble around a table with family and friends and whoever's coming to your home or you're going to theirs, hopefully someone in that home will say, can we take a minute to thank God for his word? 
Read a psalm. Read Psalms 100, Psalms 95, Psalms 138. So many great psalms. Pick, pick a psalm and read it. Pick this passage and read it. And give thanks to God. Let me pray and then we'll have a benediction. Father, thank you for this time together in the Word. Um, what an amazing passage of these men who were unashamed to proclaim the Word and the church that was unashamed to receive it and live according to it. They received gratitude. They received thanksgiving because they believed the Word of God. Lord, may Riverbend be marked by that. That we preach the Word of God and we believe it. And it dictates and controls and guides our life. Lord, help us do that for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me and let me read you a benediction that I wrote early this morning as I had pondered this sermon over the night. Listen as I read this benediction and we'll be dismissed. Our dear gracious God and Savior, as you cause your light to shine upon us and rest your blessing on the true church, may the word of God always be a source of true thanksgiving. May the pages of your truth grip our heart and change our lives daily. May we crave for our time in your word each day, and may we continue to grasp the unmeasurable value of hearing and reading your word. Lord, may your word drown out the babble of human worldliness and call us to wisdom that we may be and have the only source of eternal truth found in God's word alone. Amen?